Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel. I'm here with Elias again today. Um, and we, we have a great show today. We've been talking about this probably for the better part of the last week and a half. Uh, we are down on a little vacation doing some work, and I, this came to mind. I'm like, man, we need to talk about this. And coincidentally enough, on Friday, I started getting calls about what's happening with GameStop. Um, do we need to be involved? Do we need to be concerned? How does it affect my long-term financial picture? So I kind of thought today, um, Elias and I would have a conversation about how this affects somebody. You know, what should clients or people that are watching the show be doing right now? Um, in retrospect to GameStop and other stocks that are seeing this meteoric rise in value, and maybe it's a disconnect between what it's truly worth and what it's trading at. Yeah, so kind of the background of what happened, I guess the gist of it is we have a Reddit thread called Wall Street Bets on one side of this trade, and we have hedge funds on the other side. So I guess the first question is like, so what is happening? Um, and do we need to define anything before we really dive into it? Yeah. So in the easiest form of what's happening is the the users or the army will call them the army. I like the army that. on Wall I Street like bets. That. The army on Wall Street bets has decided that they are going to try to execute what's called a short squeeze. And in in its purest form, there are two sides of every trade. There's buyers and sellers. Okay, and a person or entity company can go sell a stock that they don't own. That's called short selling. In essence, they're borrowing that stock from somebody else, betting that the price is going to go down. Okay? Right. So At some point in time, they will have to buy this stock back, whether it's higher or lower. If they buy it back at a lower price, they made money. If they have to buy it back at a higher price, they lose. So best case scenario for a short seller is for a stock to go to zero. It's called zero bid. If it goes zero bid, there's no buyers, not worth anything, they win because they buy the back, the stock back at zero. Right. And I think talking about short selling, which we know because we're in the business, um, I feel like the average person, though, would be surprised to know that you can borrow a share of a stock and go sell it without actually owning it. So I feel like there's probably been a lot of people are Google searching, well, what is short selling? And they're probably trying to wrap their mind around it like, so you can actually borrow shares and go sell them. It's kind of a, I guess it's one of the more complicated strategies of, uh, you know, of trading or investing. Yeah, it's not, it's not as clear cut as I buy a stock and I own it for the long term, which right. truly is what investing is. A lot of the short selling you'll see happens by hedge funds, and that's the nature of this short squeeze. And, and what they mean by short squeeze is this army of Reddit people that started this Wall Street Bets is trying to drive this price up to get the hedge funds out. Yeah, um, so for, okay, so that brings up a question. One, how the people the people on the thread, Wall Street Bets, how do they even know about the short positions that were out there? Yeah, so there's public, it's public knowledge. If you have a large enough position in a stock, it's public knowledge to what the short interest is. Um, so you can go out there and say, hey, we know that this stock has a very large short interest or a lot of shares sold short. So the companies that they're targeting right now are AMC, GameStop, Bed Bath & Beyond, because they know what the current short interest is in the stock. Yeah, and I know, I think close to at one time, the short interest of GameStop was 
130%. So when someone sees, okay, the short interest in GameStop's 130%, what, what does that tell somebody? What does that tell an investor? People have sold more shares short than shares available. They've, they've leveraged. Okay, so now we know it's public information, what short interest is um, in a company. And now I'm sure people have been hearing this term short squeeze, which we just talked about a little bit. Um, let, is let a short talk, squeeze a new concept? It's not, but let, let me back up one thing and why the short squeeze really works. As people start to push the price up, losses start to happen for companies or individuals who are short the stock. Well, once you hit a certain price, you might get what's called a margin call, meaning you have to either put more money in to cover your position or you're going to have to get out of the trade. So the price escalation actually goes faster and faster the higher the price goes as people start to sell and get out of their trade. They were targeting, or the the group on Wall Street Bets was targeting hedge funds particularly, particularly one called Melvin Capital. They're the largest short seller of GameStop. Okay, Melvin Capital had a 53% loss for their fund in the month of January. But as the price keeps getting higher, at some point, these funds either have to get more capital to put in because they're losing, right? And it's Mm -hmm. an infinite loss. There's no limited loss on a short sale, right? Because there's an infinite dollar, infinite amount the stock could go up. So as they start to, as people start to buy the stock back, it makes the stock price go higher and higher and higher because more and bigger blocks of stock are being sold. Yeah, so certain aspects of this, this was like the perfect storm for a short squeeze to happen, but is a short squeeze, is that new? Um, do, I guess to me, short squeezes have been going on as long as trading's been going on. So, you know, earlier I read an article or I actually watched a video on a local news station talking about this 19-year-old Iowa State student um, who was investing in GameStop. And they got in and they got out and he lost $50. But he said, this is like the first time we've ever seen anything like this. Well, if you're 19, it probably is the first time you've ever seen anything like this. Yeah. But I went and started doing some research, and this really kind of cool story came up. Even for myself, we've had short squeezes in the past, but I've been doing this the better. Well, I started in 2002, so going on 19-ish years. And I haven't seen anything like this before. So I'm sure this 19-year-old student from Iowa State hasn't seen it. But if we go back through history, it's not the first time there's been a massive short squeeze. Uh, right. Back in 1919, there was a gentleman named Clarence Saunders, and he was a shop clerk at a local grocery store, Memphis, Tennessee. And he decided there was a better way to distribute groceries because back in the day, they'd just have, they'd stand at a counter, the goods were behind you. Someone would come in, tell you what good they had, they wanted, and then you'd take it off the shelf and hand it back. Well, he decided that maybe we just put all the goods onto the floor and let people walk around and shop and hold things and decide what they really wanted to have because they could feel and touch. And then the shop clerk didn't just have to wait and get each individual item. So so innovative for the time. Seems like normal life now, but I mean, yeah, I mean, we now we have Amazon, but this was like the Amazon of its time. Think about it. It was the Amazon of its time. Right. Right. Like, oh, wait, everybody walks around a store and picks what they want and brings it to a cash register. Anyway, he founded a grocery store chain called Piggly Wiggly, which 
is the first modern grocery store where you did this. Primarily in the South, Piggly Wigglies, I think most people have heard of them um, if, if they're from there. But he actually started this franchise, 1922, and made it a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange. Okay, And over time, um, he issued stock, I think it was like $55 a share, somewhere in there. And he started sensing that company stock was starting to fall because Wall Street traders were selling or shorting his Piggly Wiggly company. Yeah, shorting, okay. and weren't they creating some negative press about it too? So what actually happened is there were like, there were like five stores in the Northeast that he had given the licensing agreement to. So they weren't actually Piggly Wiggly stores, but they he had sold the, the name and brand of Piggly Wiggly. And yeah. this one operator had done a very poor job of running these stores. So they closed. Well, it's the old recency bias thing that, oh, whatever's happening near me must be happening in the world. Right. I almost, it's almost similar to what happened during coronavirus. Like when New York was really bad and it wasn't bad, really that bad throughout the rest of the US yet, boy, the stock market was getting crushed. But as New York recovered, the stock market came back too because it's recent to where they're at, their locale. Same kind of thing. So all these these stock traders said, well, these things are horrible. They're not good. We're going to sell and start shorting these. And he decided that that just wasn't going to happen. He, he had, you know, he was kind of a bigger than life type of guy. And he said, hey, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So he went out bank to bank and he raised about $10 million, borrowed funds from everybody he could, um, started buying shares from people. And his whole goal was to buy up all the shares available because he knew that if he could go to each investor who actually owned the shares and get them, he could do what's called cornering the market. And what that means is I own all the shares and the short sellers can only buy them back from me. Right. Right. Which, so instead of an army of people, like through a thread on uh, Reddit, Clarence basically just went out and did it himself. That's exactly what he did. And he drove the stock price up. Okay. There were a total of 200,000 shares of Piggly Wiggly stock in float or yeah. in there. He amassed 198,872 shares. So all but like a few thousand, it was interesting. I'm reading this article and some of those shares he actually bought over in Sioux City, Iowa is like some of the, the finishing up shares oh, um, really? that he got. And, and he thought, hey, this is great. Like they're all gonna have to buy these back for me, which is kind of what's happening with, you know, with GameStop, they think, oh man, they're gonna have to buy these shares back and we're crushing them, right? Yeah. Well, so Saunders goes out and he calls back the stock, says, I want, I want to take delivery of all the shares. And he wants now the short sellers to pay up. And they have, I think it's, and I don't know the exact details, but it was like noon the next day or three o'clock the next day. And clearly these companies don't have the money to do it. So the enforcement agency at the time overseeing the securities industry changed the rules. Sounds familiar. Change the rules. Yep. Kind of <clears throat> sounds familiar, like Robin Hood and, you know, uh, interactive brokers. And they use the reason, hey, we're going to change the rules because you have these capital requirements. And I get the companies do have capital requirements. But if you kind of understand more of the story, which I talked with Elias earlier, Robin Hood, who's the primary trading platform, that's happening with GME right now, that's GameStop, mm -hmm. 
uh, because of the free trades. That's the really the rise of it. And people always wonder, well, man, how do they make money on free trades? Well, we did a little research and they make money because they actually sell all the trading data to Citadel, which is one of the largest hedge funds in the world. Correct. And Melvin Capital just took a cash injection from Citadel to stay afloat. So one of the really conspiracy theories out there is, hey, Robinhood, you know, Citadel went to Robinhood and said, hey, look, we can't have this because we're losing massive dollars. Whether that happened or not, I don't know if we'll know. Maybe we'll know someday. Right. The speculation's going to be there and the story's there now. So like whether it happened or not, there's always going to be people who believe that, right? Right. So I think the moral of that story is, hey, they changed the rules and all these people that have piled into this GameStop trade, right? They could have some issues because at some point, if all the short sellers are out, the bottom falls out of the stock. So someone asked me the other day, are you in this? I had a call from a buddy of mine and client said, hey, are you in GameStack? I'm like, no, why would I be? He goes, because you can make money. I said, well, there's gonna be a few who make a lot of money. There's gonna be a lot who lose a lot of money. And there's probably gonna be some who are prosecuted too. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I have a hard time believing no one's getting in trouble once this all shakes out, right? Don't you feel like something's gonna happen? If you go back, through all the people involved, I mean, like, is it Michael Burry? Yeah. That so, we brought up. He, he was the guy who called the called the crash in 2009 of the housing market. Well, he actually started accumulating GameStop at about $4 a share back in 19, I think it was, because Sony and, yeah. Sony and Microsoft had come out and said, we're going to use discs and on our new players. Well, I know I saw that he had a $281 million profit on this trade, so he wasn't short. I think he's short now, maybe, but he wasn't for a long time. Um, and some of the other people involved, at some point, there's going to be an investigation as to what's going on. But I think here's the important thing. Many people today are looking this as a get-rich-quick scheme. right? Oh, yeah. oh, man, I can go buy this. I looked this morning. It opened at $325. It's worth $240 as we're doing this show. Okay? Yep. Who knows what it's going to be? It's up 1,600% since January 12th. I mean, none of this is rational. The The fundamentals don't support the stock price. Correct. And people are calling it investing. So what What do you call it? This is two things, gambling and speculation. It's purely all this is. Yeah. I mean, one of the guys I follow, Graham Stephan, he did. He had a video on this, just kind of talking about Robin Hood and this whole situation. And he, he referred to the investing dollars. This is not investing. I want people to be clear of this, not investing. Investing is when you buy something and you believe the value of this asset is going to go up over time because the fundamentals are there. Right. This is purely throwing money in and rolling the dice. And if you start to read through the Wall Street the Wall Street bets threads, it's all about just keeping the stock price up. Man, I'm putting 10 grand in tomorrow and yeah. all and it's all this is about is propping up a stock price trying to hurt somebody else. Eventually, the people that invest in the end will be the ones who get hurt the most. So we're talking about investing and speculating and the difference. And this brings up a thought and something I've been thinking about, something I wanted to ask. So this short squeeze was organized through a thread on a chat forum called Reddit, right? So would it be foolish for people to think, and you're talking about people are starting to think this is a get rich quick scheme. Hedge, don't you think hedge funds are going to start monitoring these investment threads or even, certainly Wall Street bets? Like there's 
is it safe to say there's probably already measures in place that they're not going to let this just happen again? I don't know if there's measures in place, but they're definitely monitoring the threads because if I subscribed, their army of hedge fund analysts <laughs> subscribed too, right? Right. I mean, it, because it's just information. If you think about why is Robinhood selling all the all the trade data to Citadel, it's well, strictly because yeah. they know the values in the data. The, value, the values and the knowledge that you get, it's all in the research. So if you've actually watched Wall Street, which I know you haven't. No, I have not. You know, he, <clears throat> Bud Fox, he says, hey, Bud, bring me something that nobody else knows. All he wants is information. Because Bud's like looking at charts and trying to get him all the, the best stocks based upon the fundamentals. But Gordon Gecko wants inside information. He wants what nobody else has. So if you can get trade data and you get all this other data that nobody else has, arguably it can give you an edge. So it would be silly to think that all of these hedge funds are not monitoring all of these threads. And what they're probably doing is saying, hey, what are the next ones? Because my guess is they're not gonna stop with this one. I think there's some, with GameStop, I don't know why they picked this one specifically, but it's probably because it maybe takes them back to like a better time in their life. You know, I think back to like 2005, I was playing Madden football and video games, my fingers. And now today we have all this financial stuff going on. We have COVID. Like maybe it's just, hey, this would be cool. Something that we used to do, even though it's not really that relevant anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a combination of that. And then the amount of short interest that was out there, but I've been wondering that too. How did the, how did GameStop as a stock get selected for this squeeze? Yeah, I, well, I don't know. I mean, we're probably going to find out at yeah. some point. I mean, there's going to be a lot of investigations that go into this. But here's what I think: a, one of the key takeaways that we should look at is, you know, think about the people that we work with. How does this affect them? It shouldn't affect them, right? There's going to be increased volatility until this all kind of shakes out, right? We're gonna see markets go up and down. I think one of the things I'm kind of watching for personally is if people are losing money on the short squeeze, they're gonna to have to sell other assets potentially mm -hmm. to come up with capital to cover, to cover their losses. So you could see other stocks suffer a little bit of selling pressure, but for the, ever, the average investor, the people that we work with, this really shouldn't even be on your radar. This right. is a blip in your life. Yep. It's newsworthy, goes back to one of the first shows we did, how to build a media filter. This is entertainment value, cool to watch, cool to listen to. I've had fun like researching what's going on because I'm learning some new stuff. But at the end of the day, this should all be filtered out of media. You should say, hey, this is speculation, not investing, not relevant to my life. Yeah, um, so as far as... Uh you know, as far as that's concerned, this should just be about investing. So people, it seems like, at least the news and the talk is, it seems like everyone's just making money on this GameStop trade, especially the people on the side of the Wall Street bets thread. Is there, like, is there a point where that stops? Will people start to lose? I actually, I think Graham Stephan on YouTube, he said, you can think of this like a game of musical chairs someone's going to be left without a chair. Um, can you touch on that a little bit? And I guess my feeling is if we all knew the high price, well, 
someone's going to sell under that and then someone's going to sell under that. So you can touch on that a little bit. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good analogy, musical chairs. There's going to be a lot of people left without a chair probably. Now, that said, it could have been some of the people that were earliest in, right? Because if you're early in, you might have a huge profit. But if you're one of the last people who starts to buy this thing at $325 and then $300 and then $250, I mean, you have to look and say, what is this really worth? Before this all happened, GameStop was trading at $17. Yeah. So, right, I mean, you, right. You, if I'm if someone called and asked me, I'd say be ready to lose 90%. Yeah. I mean, so if you're okay losing 90% of your money, then you could speculate on this. Yeah. Not I invest, actually, speculate. I actually had a friend call me, and he knew I was being a smart aleck, but because he asked me my thoughts on it. And I said, uh, well, my honest opinion is I'm not long um, – retail video games for the long term <laughs> on cd roms I mean, yeah like i'm not long that for an investment so it's funny it's funny we're actually going through this because i was cleaning my garage out this is i don't know two weeks ago and i came by by this whole this big box got xbox 360 in it games controllers oh, yeah. so i'm like man i'm gonna plug it in put one in see if it works right plug it in put the game in there and nothing just nothing. Would it turn on? No, nothing. nothing. I had nothing. Damn. So you know what I did? You know me. I didn't. I, I didn't take the. I, I thought about it. GameStop. I thought about it. I'm not kidding. I thought about. It. I'm like, hey, I could take these CD ROMs to GameStop or get four sell them on eBay. I'm like, they're from like 2006. Yeah. Nobody is giving me any money that's worth my time to go through all this rigmarole and put a mask on. I put them in the dumpster outside. Along with the Xbox. So I'm sure someone thought they got like some cool Christmas present. Dumpster diving. <laughs> till they go take it out. But point is like people just aren't even using this technology. Right. Um, I mean maybe a little bit. But not like it was. When I when I was growing up. I mean what do we do? Man the new Madden's out every year. The new college football. The new NBA Live. I mean I lived and breathed these video games through college. One of my best friends. I mean we'd have battles playing NBA live and I could never beat him because he has the jump pass. He patented this jump pass. I'm like, come on, man, this is unfair. Some glitch in the game. It's some glitch in the game. And he still gives me, he still gives me a hard time about it today. Like, Oh, you want to defend that jump pass? I mean, we're talking about (laughs) hours of this. So yeah, I, I think we need to really think about if you're worried about this, you're worrying about the wrong thing. What our people should be focused on is am I saving the right amount of money? Can I afford to lose money if I want to do this, right? Because in my mind, just can you afford to lose 90%? It goes back to what the financial plan can quantify for people. Um, We've talked about the couple before who wanted to buy the vacation, or not the vacation house, but the rental property, Mm -hmm. right? Hey, we made sure everything was set for retirement using the appropriate asset allocation, all those different factors. And they still had a few thousand dollars a month left that they could put into their rental property. Well. If you're on track for retirement and these are your your discretionary dollars that you want to take to the casino on Wall Street bets, that's your that's your choice to do it. Just realize it's gambling, speculation, betting. There's no fundamentals behind it. Yeah. So I, f- I feel like what you're getting at here is uh, speculating on short sells and speculating on being on the opposite side of a short sell. That's probably not a prudent part of someone's long-term financial planning. I know for a fact the financial planning software has nowhere in there 
that asks whether we're going to sell things short, whether we're buying one individual stock. You know, it really goes down to his concentration. And I read a book. Um, Daniel Crosby wrote a book, uh, Laws of Wealth. Yep, good book. You read that. Yep. And he talks about how people have built massive wealth through concentrated investments. So we can name the people over time. Warren Buffett, um, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. These people have concentrated investments. It's called their business that they started. Yep. And they own one stock. Well, there are people who have built massive wealth by buying GameStop, right? They built massive wealth doing this if they got yep. in early. Yep. But for most people that build massive wealth, the massive majority of people come out on the bad end of the stick. It's why most of our clients don't buy individual stocks. They opt for some kind of diversified asset allocation because we're just rolling the dice with what that stock does. I can think about the people that worked at Enron. The people that worked at Enron in no way thought that their company was gonna go bankrupt and out of business. They'd lose all their money. Right. Yeah, no one thought that. No one yeah. thought that. You had WorldCom, you had McLeod, you had all these different companies where people literally thought, oh, my company stock's safe. We have a local company in town all the time. See 20, 25, 30% of the company stock. And the company stock has done well. But then you have the conversation, do you really want it all riding on one company? Well, yeah, but it's doing great. So did these companies. Here's the laundry list of companies that did great, and now they're not doing well. So it comes down to stock concentration. It's just not a prudent way to run a diversified portfolio. If you're gonna have a small portion, so let's say you've got a portfolio with $500,000 and you're gonna put in 10, 15, or 20,000 into an individual security, well, that that's fairly prudent. Our rule really is no more than 10% in one single stock if a client has company stock. But for the most part, people have made, people that have made their fortunes on highly concentrated positions, started the company, that did exceptionally well, and most companies never make it to the level of a Tesla or an Amazon or an Apple or any of those companies. Most fail. Right. Yeah, and the difference is they're the one of the founders of the company, they're the CEO, but it's it's their business. Right. It's their company. So so for someone who's listening, who's thinking, you know, I like what these guys have to say. Um, I want to get started investing and start a financial plan. Where can they reach out to us to get a hold of us? They can get us at btwellshow.com. Um, if you have any questions for the show, we always take listener questions on air. Uh, btwellshow.com, we'd be happy to answer any questions that you guys have. One thing I remind everybody, if you're watching the show on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. Also, if you have us on Spotify, you know, feel free to leave a review if you like the show that we're doing right there. Um, we enjoy doing the show. Hopefully we're bringing good content to everybody. Till next time, thanks for listening. You can get us at btwellshow.com. Securities and advice 